Last week's question from the Pharisees and the one that the disciples were thinking but didn't ask Jesus was all about the end times. When and where? And Jesus' simple answer is, you're not going to know until you know. We won't be able to predict, but it will be obvious when he's here. And his application, his warning to us last week should still be ringing in our ears as we move into the next section of our passage in Luke's gospel. Uh, That warning and that promise was whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. You can't lose your life without faith that Jesus will save it. And this morning, Jesus wants to refocus his disciples' attention, our attention on faith through the most common application of faith, and that is the discipline of prayer. Would you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 and stand with me? We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Again, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And you can follow along either in your Bibles or on your phone app or uh, on the screens here above. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He, that is Jesus, said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4. Now, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. It is fitting that we pray early and often. Jesus, you taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. You've taught us in so many passages throughout the Gospels, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the letters of the later New Testament church. That prayer is not an add-on, but it is an action of faith. And so we, as a church, pray together. And we pray in our homes. When we rise and when we work and when we go to bed again at night, we pray early and often because we are a dependent people, a community called your bride. Thank you. Jesus, for your patience with us. Use your word to accomplish, as Pastor Kent reminded us, what it, what it will accomplish. will not return void to you. Bring about the adoration of you that we need. Bring about the confession of our sins that hinder our fellowship with you. Bring about our thanksgiving and forgive us for how often we take you for granted. And last but not least, hear our prayers, our, our supplications, our prayer requests and mourn with us as we lament the wars ravaging the world right now, the sins ravaging our own homes and hearts. And last but not least, we just pray simply, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Please be seated. Well, the title for today's passage is very simply, Pray and Do Not or Don't Lose Heart. Pray and Don't Lose Heart. And unlike so many times in the Gospels where you're wondering, okay, what is this parable about? And you, you don't really figure it out until the very end. Luke or either some of the apostles who were telling Luke this parable give, give us the answer right up front. Verse one, and he that is Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And there is the title and the purpose of this parable. Pray and don't lose heart. Our ESV says, do not lose heart. The NASB says, do not become discouraged. The NIV says, do not give up. My favorite Greek lexicon defines this verb as follows, quote, to lose one's motivation in continuing a desirable pattern of conduct or activity. To, do, to lose one's motivation to keep going. In other words, negatively speaking, giving up, losing heart, becoming discouraged. So Jesus is calling us today in prayer to not be discouraged, to not give up praying, to not lose heart or faith. Why? Well, I think, friends, Jesus knows that prayer is hard. I mean, don't you find it at hard time, hard to pray sometimes? Uh, you should be saying yes, right? You do. And that's just sometimes, frankly, our lack of discipline. How much harder have you had it when you have suffered something horrible? Somebody near and dear to you has died or suffered a, a, a abuse or, or something just, just almost unspeakable. For, for many reasons, we and Christians before us and Christians after us have had a hard time praying. And so Jesus gives us a parable to keep us going, to spur us on. Well, the parable has a cast of characters. Let's meet them in verse two. He that is Jesus said, in a certain city... So it doesn't matter where, but pick a city. There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So first the judge, what is he like? Well, he's an unjust judge. Well, great. He's an anti-judge, if you want to think of it that way. He's the exact opposite of what a judge should be. A judge should fear God and care for people. But this guy is probably that type of judge who takes bribes, who takes sides instead of remaining impartial. He's the kind to interpret God's law without any really care at all for it. Now, on the opposite side of the bar sits a widow. In first century Judaism, outside of a leper, the widow was probably the most vulnerable person you could imagine. She lost her husband, who was the provider of the home, the one who would protect her and represent her, providing for the children, not only the finances in the home, but the education as well. She was a widow. And in ancient first century Jewish tradition, not in the scriptures, by the way, she had no legal standing. No legal standing. It is not a little bit ironic that Jesus' first witnesses of his resurrection are women. It's glorious in God's eyes and in the world's. Well, it doesn't hold legal standing. So you have a widow, one of the most vulnerable women 
or people among God's people. And, and God spoke through Moses to protect the widows, to keep charge of them. And over and over again, the prophets, the leaders of Israel are rebuked for not taking care of the widows, the vulnerable. And so here we have an unjust judge and the most vulnerable person you can imagine, again, outside of perhaps a leper, looking at each other, one crying out for justice and the other one, frankly, not caring. She's asking, give me justice against my adversary. Well, let's hear <clears throat> the thoughts of the judge. Verse four, for while he refused, for a while he refused. And afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So picture that courtroom with me. There's the judge high up, maybe like me, and you're that widow. And you come in for your first request. There's somebody who has done me wrong. Please make it right. And he says, no. But because in this system, she gets unlimited chances to come back. <clears throat> she can just appeal again and again. She comes back the second day. Please judge, help me. No. Third day, please judge. I'm asking you to do what is right. No. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Now, moms, you have a child like this, don't you? Right? They say, they, they keep coming until your answer changes, right? It, it's like the politics in Chicago. You just keep recounting the votes until you get the vote you want. So this widow is that persistent child. She is unrelenting. You can hear it in his language. She keeps bothering me. She's going to beat me down. I mean, it, it, it's a word you, usually used for the physical beating, but here it's, it's obviously symbolic. It's not literal, but he is she is just unrelenting. She is that child who will not let up. <clears throat> so in spite of this judge's moral corruption, he answers her request and he gives her justice. Now, the parable's over, but what's the point? And Jesus wants to make sure, double clear, that we get the point. And one thing he's assuming his audience understands that we may miss is this is a lesser to greater argument. So if an unjust judge will give the widow justice, how much more, how much greater will God give you, son and daughter, justice? So a lesser to a greater argument, very typical in our Gospels. <clears throat> Verse 6, And so the Lord Jesus said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Did you hear the lesser argument? The lesser example? And then he asks two rhetorical questions, which means two questions that, that you know the answer to. What's the, the first question? Will not God give justice to, who is, to his elect who cry to him day and night? And what's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. It's a rhetorical question. Of course the answer is yes. Will God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Yes. Now notice three things. The promise, the condition, and the habits. The promise, the condition, and the habits. Notice the promise is for justice. And what a fitting promise, isn't it? 
You saw that video at the beginning of service, and if you missed it, look for it online on our, on our page, our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Today is the day every year where we get convicted about praying for the persecuted church. We should be doing it a lot more often, frankly. But what is so common among the persecuted church is the lack of worldly justice. So the promise, Jesus says here, is for justice, for his to condition the elect. The promise, justice. Yes, God will bring justice. He is both perfectly loving and perfectly just. And he will bring justice in the end, for sure. Two, the condition is to the elect. So God, therefore, is not Santa, who answers just anyone's request, but rather his ears are attentive to his children, those whom he has elected, those he's chosen for salvation. In other words, any man, woman, or child who is in a right relationship with the Father through the Son can pray with the help of the Spirit, and God hears. And if that prayer is a prayer for justice, God will answer it. The question, of course, is always, when? And just like last week, when will the kingdom come? When will the Son of Man return? We often get focused on the wrong thing. We lose our, our focus on Jesus to a result or to a timing or to a calendar or a location or whatever. So three, notice the habit. Notice the habit that Jesus describes here. God's people, his saints, pray without ceasing. Did you hear that? Night and day. And notice the way he describes their prayers. They cry to him day and night. Friends, it's okay to cry out to God out loud with all the emotion that you're feeling. We don't need to come to God in a stoic sternness type of a John Wayne, I, I'm strong enough, I can handle this. That's the point, you can't. We're made to be dependent. God brings about circumstances in our life so that we are forced to need him, to trust him. Yes, you heard me right. Sometimes our trials are the greatest gift that God allows to come our way. He doesn't author evil, but at times he doesn't stop it either. Pray without ceasing. God will answer your request for justice, especially true if you are elect, because he, the father, has an ear to his child. The shepherd has an ear to his sheep. And last but not least, the sheep bleat continually. It's what we do. I really dislike the meme in our culture that goes around encouraging us not to be sheep or sheeple. I really hate that meme. In the context of Christian, we're supposed to be sheep. That's, that's what we are. And I know it's not always intended in that way. But don't forget, we're meant to bleat, and the shepherd loves to come and help us in our troubles. It's his character. It's his kindness. It's his love. The second question, will God delay long over answering their prayers? The end of verse 7 there. Will he delay long over them? What's the answer? No. No, the answer is no. God will not delay 
in answering your prayer for justice. Okay, pastor, I know that's the case, but I don't know that. In other words, yeah, it makes sense here, but here, I got years of praying for this issue and no answer. My, my dear child or my dear friend or my spouse, we've been praying and praying for decades. So, so how do I make sense of this experientially? Right, I, I get it up here, okay. God doesn't delay. God isn't like the, the state government or the federal government that will get to it when they get to it. He doesn't delay, but experientially we feel like he, he delays. Well, for some of us, it's friends that we only will accept the answer yes. If we're honest, right? I ask God, but really I'm demanding God answer yes. And he doesn't have to. He's not obligated. He's not Santa. And he knows best. We actually don't know what's best for our lives. We don't. We think we do. Our needs feel very acute. We don't know what's best for our lives. And often we run after disobedience thinking it will make us happier when in reality we will never be at more peace and joy than when we were walking in obedience to God and his word. So sometimes, friends, we just have to admit we've been waiting for one answer when God can give three. Yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. Two, I lack patience. I don't know about you. I've often said to my kids, you know, patience is a virtue. And then I add seldom had. And it's true for us, isn't it? We don't, we, we want instant everything. Instant coffee, instant food, instant answers to our prayer. We are a petulant and I am a self-centered person. You are too, I'm sure. We just are not patient. So it's hard. We forget that a thousand years in God's eyes, it's like a blink. So time to him is different than our timing, isn't it? And his timing is rarely ours. Those of us who've lived long enough know this. So wherever you're at right now, whether you're in school and you're struggling with that bully or that, 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 um, the issue that is really causing you a lot of distress, that the fear of other kids or whatever might be going on, don't give up praying. But remember, God's in this for the long game, not for the short, get me out of pain right away game. He's doing something. He's your father. He cares. He's hearing you. Three, I already hinted at it really. He's playing the long game. God's timing isn't our timing. He doesn't lack patience like we do. <clears throat> and the psalmists remind us repeatedly that God will bring about justice in the end. But it's sometimes not in our lifetime. So that abuser, that bully, the rapist, the murderer, the thief, the embezzler, the liar, the cheater, the tyrant, and the list goes on, will get judgment in the end, and it will be horrible and eternal. But it may not happen now, and it may not happen in your lifetime. Does that make God any less good? No. Does it make him any less just? No. Does it test our patience? Yeah. But again, we're dependent, aren't we? If we were God and we judged as quickly as we, as we do, 
we would be murderers and unjust, fickle, able to change our minds by our emotions in a second. But God is not like us. And that is huge praise. Perfect, just. It's a bedrock promise, Christians. Again, coming back to the persecuted church, which by the way, I did not plan this sermon for this Sunday, God did. We could learn a lot from the persecuted church. And if I'm honest, I don't like to read about them because I get convicted. So if you would consider reading a Voice of the Martyrs website video or two, or Open Doors, and there are other ministries that are talking about what God's people are suffering all over the world, you will see an example of perseverance in prayer through faith by God's grace that will encourage you and equip you in ways by their example that I can't and that probably a lot of us here can't. Although not fully, let me be honest. If you're struggling with something in prayer, stop doing it on your own. Invite others. Invite others to pray with you and you will learn from their prayers and you will be comforted and encouraged by them. You want to get discouraged? about something, pray on your own and only by yourself. The persecuted church, they're willing to suffer. I, I feel like sometimes as, as a, one of your elders and, and your pastor, I'm, I'm apologizing for, in my mind at least, for maybe preaching a little too long, for being a little inconvenient. You know, we are a consumer society after all. And yet I, I marveled at, uh, I think it was a Torgelsons who mentioned this, our former missionaries over in Asia. He said, you know, part of the, the baptism interview process that their churches go through includes this question, will you be willing to suffer for Jesus? That, that's not varsity Christianity, that's just basic. And I'm reminded that friends, it's probably coming our way. And I don't mean suffering by having conveniences taken away from us. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm reminded of the changes in our culture, the ways in which what we used to call sin is now called good, and what is called good is called sin. Friends, you can expect if you stand up for your faith in the public square, you will be persecuted. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are we ready? I hope that answer is yes. Well, verse 8 ends with one last thought from our, our Lord. And he says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Oh, and I, and I missed it. Just notice that right above there. God will give justice speedily, but again, in his timing. <clears throat> Showing his character, his care. But notice Jesus' last question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when the end is near, when, when Jesus comes back, will he find faith? in us on earth. And the greatest evidence of faith, friends, is prayer. The greatest evidence of dependence is prayer. One of our core values here at the church is dependence. And it is shown in our prayers. So I want to remind you of, a, of an acronym, ACTS, that can help your prayer life grow. ACTS, it won't be up on your screen because I didn't get to it in time, typical me. But A stands for adoration. So I want you to try and experiment this week. And if you're a note taker, write this down. Start your prayer not with what you want, but with adoring whom you're praying to. So we, we sang it in one of these songs. Cry out, sing holy. Adore God for his holiness. 
adore him for his actions of righteous and mercy. Praise him. Praise God first. And then, counter to our intuition, confess your sin. Because 1 Peter reminds husbands in particular, your prayers may be hindered because of the sins against your wife. And of course, that goes vice versa, by the way. So sin can hinder prayer, friends, no doubt. So adore, confess. And if you're not sure what your sins are, go to the end of chapter uh, five or six in Galatians and just read that list. I'm sure two, three, ten of those have been committed by you and me just in the last week. Confess. It's something I wish we did more in service, frankly. I think we're missing something as a body to be in the habit of confessing our sin regularly. Kent gave us a a glimpse of that this morning. Maybe we'll build that in more into our liturgy, our service. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. So God, you are incredible. You're holy. You never change. You're merciful when we don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. Please hear my sins and forgive them. And thank you for all that you've done. And, And it's amazing how our heart changes as we move in this in this order. And then comes our requests. Lord, pray for my, my sister, my brother, my needs, my kids, my grandchildren, my co-workers, my unsaved neighbors, unsaved children, family, etc. It's a good order, friends. And there's one more there that gets left off that shouldn't be. I'm not sure where to put it, but it's the most common type of psalm in the book of Psalms, and that is lament. So that is when you are grieved and it is hard to express that grief. You're not despairing. You're not giving up hope. But it is, it is almost overwhelming. So I, I can imagine the Christians in Palestine right now who are overwhelmed with the destruction and the slaughter that inevitably comes of the innocent when you have war. War is a necessary evil at best. And the slaughter of the Israelis just a month ago. The grief, the lament, not without hope, but not lightly, deeply, crying out. Maybe you're in a season where you just do not have the words. Friend, gather some friends with you to lament, to cry out. Go through the Psalms. You'll pick one out every 10th Psalm or so. And pray through that Psalm. Let David or one of the other psalmists, Asaph, walk you through how to pray your grief, your hurt in faith, knowing that God will meet you in the end. And last but not least, I close with this encouragement, this application. With what attitude should we pray? With love, perseverance, and Gratefulness, with love, perseverance, and gratefulness. Let's pray. God, we do adore you. You are the most beautiful being in the universe. You created all things. Father, by your will and through your Son, and thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, we bear breath and can breathe praises or curses at you because of your kindness. You had every reason to wipe us out when Adam and Eve sinned first. And then 
when the whole earth was in rebellion and yet you saved Noah. And then you, you saved the Israelites from Egypt and the list goes on to our lives now today. We stand in that lineage of mercy and of grace and we adore you. We praise you for it. We admit that we are sinners, that we take you for granted, that we hate others when we should pray for them and love for them. We confess our lust after other men or women who are not ours or are not our husbands or wives. We confess the horrible addictions that we have to alcohol, to narcotics, to other drugs, to pornography, to power, to money, to the praise of people. Jesus, take away our sin. Have mercy on us. Assure us that at the cross you have paid for all of our sins that we confess to you. Soften our hearts and then we will give you thanks for your kindness, for your love, for your mercy, which you are not required to show, but that you do so because of your great love. And last but not least, we pray for your persecuted church. We pray for the Christians in China, in North Korea, in the Ukraine, in Russia, <coughs> in Muslim countries, where they fear for their very lives. While we have such privileges here, we just don't even realize it. Encourage our brothers and sisters, and through their faith, through their perseverance, encourage our faith. And last but not least, help us, those of us who are in deep grief and pain and suffering, to not continue to do so alone, but help us to gather around one another, to bear each other's burdens, to lament together, to grieve, to listen, but unlike Job's friends, speak little. And most of all, be glorified in our lives and help us to share the hope that we have with our lost family members, co-workers, and neighbors. And may you be glorified in your church here in Thief River, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.